from we'll be back in the book of Acts next Sunday, but I want to read from Genesis chapter 4 and from Matthew chapter 18 this morning. It is good to have Bradley's mom with us. Of course, Bradley grew up on the mission field. His mom and his parents are missionaries in Romania. And so we appreciate your service to our Lord and your faithfulness there. And it's, it's nice to have you in our service today. It's nice to meet you. And it's the first time we've seen Bradley, though, since he's been here. It's amazing how you come and he shows up for church. No, just kidding. He's been very faithful. <laughs> and do you know what happens, by the way, in 162 days? I'm trying to be encouraging. 162 days, we start gaining daylight again in 162 days. All right, let me get over there. All right, Genesis chapter 4. Also appreciate Brother Wright, all the work he puts in at camp and cutting the grass and everything. I believe today is his birthday. Is that right? I think he's 82 years old today. I'm not sure. He caught up to Bob really quick. But happy birthday to Brother Wright. Uh, just a couple of verses in Genesis chapter 4. Then I want you to turn over to Matthew chapter 18 and a couple of verses there. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 4, verse number 3. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. And Abel he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, and his countenance fell. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, there is a measure of disobedience in his offering. Keep that in mind. I'm not going to expound on that this morning from Genesis 4. I just want you to see where despising can take you. He's, and the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, and why is thy countenance fallen? If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door. And unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. And Cain talked with Abel his brother, and it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up against Abel and slew Abel his brother and slew him. Matthew chapter 18, verse number 10. Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. For the Son of Man is come to save that which was lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine and goeth into the mountains and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if it be so that he findeth, verily I stand you, he rejoiceth more of that sheep than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And then just the first few words of verse 15, uh, because the word moreover is key. Moreover, if thy brother shall, and it continues on with another principle. Let's go ahead and pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you. Lord, I thank you for your word, and Lord, I ask for your help this morning. Lord, please help me to speak clearly. Lord, help me to stay true to your word and the principles that are therein. And Lord, may your spirit guide in this. Lord, I pray that your word would draw us closer to you, would strengthen us. 
Lord, that as we leave here, we would leave here different, seeking uh, even to better glorify you with our life, that you would change us. Lord, if there's anyone here who has never truly been converted, I pray for that conviction and for that drawing. Lord, that even this morning they repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Lord, we certainly need you. Father, I pray and ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. This morning, I want to look at our relationships with each other as a church. How we respond to each other as a church family. The devil will work to concentrate on causing division within a church. Our church is certainly no different than that. And this is, of course, preventative in measure. I have, and there's not one situation that has come up that I am dealing with. This is just purely preventative. But he knows that he can use division and what, da- what danger it can bring with it and what it can lead to. He knows at the very least that if he can get a measure of division between two Christians within the church, it will limit our effectiveness as a church. It will hurt the people involved spiritually, their spiritual growth and their walk, by getting us to despise one another. He wants it to that level. He wants your focus when you come into church on something other than God, other than His Word, when you arrive here. He uses many different things uh, uh, to try and, and, and steal where your thoughts are, what your focus is. My guess is many of us here are aware of people who don't attend church anywhere today because of some type of relationship that went sour in the church. We hear things like, well, if that person is going there, I'm not going to come. Something went really wrong. We read from Matthew 18. When you actually start off the chapter, he is dealing, he, he, Christ is now beginning actually to focus more on the local church by the time you're in Matthew chapter 18. It's, it's the first time really in Scripture that we see that taking place. And the very first thing he begins to address throughout this chapter is our relationships with each other. How we relate to each other. When the chapter starts, you have the disciples were having a discussion of who was the greatest. This discussion was based on pride. And it showed a problem that would lead to division within a church. Christ uses that question to give them a principle on how they're to treat each other as believers. Even as we read into verse 15, he continues with that thought. And our section deals with believers. Verse 15, moreover, in other words, he's continuing with this idea. If thy brother shall trespass, he goes on to another principle. Our text is dealing with how we relate to each other and the danger of despising each other. Contextually speaking, I'm not going to draw that out. I don't have time for that this morning. There's a lot that I want to cover. If I was just simply going through this, I would take the time to do that. But the word children in our text is dealing simply with believers. Um, You can, verse 14 even makes that clear if you want to see it quickly. Um, that it's not dealing with the word, is, is the word for infant up to toddler, but it's dealing with those who can have the, the, the ability to make a decision for Christ. So as he starts off the chapter, the first nine verses, Christ was teaching them that you deal with each other with humility. It's not about being the greatest 
It's about being a servant. As I said, the devil knows what he's doing. He's smart. Just like with the disciples, he understood that he was dealing with people that were willing to forsake all and follow Christ. So he had to come at a different angle to try. He didn't give up at that point. Oh, man, they're willing to forsake all. Nothing I can do about that. No, no. He tried another angle. He attacked them differently. Listen, the devil knows how to attack you. He knows what will work. Don't be ignorant of the devil's devices. The devil with the disciples was using their, actually their desire for Christ, corrupting it with ambition to cause division. And I think the devil has used ambition just a little bit in Baptist churches over the last 30, 40 years. I want to focus on what we see taking place from verse 10 through verse 14, along with Genesis chapter 4, on the danger of despising each other. We need to be careful. We need to guard against it. Starting with a humble approach to each other, as Philippians 2.3 directs us, esteeming another better than self. Listen, the devil doesn't give up. He knows how powerful and how effective a church can be when it's unified. So he will work to cause division. One way he does it, if he can just get two believers to despise each other. The Lord knows this is a danger. The problems it can cause. How it can hurt our walk with him and our testimony. We can think of churches that have been destroyed by starting off with two people, getting at odds with each other and letting it grow from there and, and turning into this fire. That should have never existed to begin with. Genesis 4, we saw how destructive despising can get to. How Cain allowed that anger to turn to bitterness and bitterness to despising. To the extent he murdered his own brother. And the Lord tried, the Lord was facing in Genesis chapter 4, wait, why are you the one mad? You're the one that, you're the one that actually demonstrated disobedience. You're the one that's mad? If you do right, you're going to be accepted. This isn't hard, Cain. But he let it stew. You could just see his thoughts as he started to despise his brother Abel. Why did he despise Abel? Did Abel do anything to him? Nothing. Abel's life, though, was convicting to him. If we are going to accomplish what the Lord would have us to accomplish as the Independent Baptist Church of Anchorage, we're going to need strong relationships with each other. We're going to need unity. Therefore, we have to have principles in place that help us maintain good relationships with each other. Keep in mind, Matthew 18 is a change. It's Christ for the first time in, in, during his earthly ministry with the disciples, beginning to focus on how the local church should look. And the very first thing he deals with in chapter 18 is our relationships with each other.
This also shows us that as a church, we need to be close to each other. We need that fellowship with each other. That's why things like family camp are so important. That's why things like men of faith, women of virtue, it's not just the teaching and the preaching that are important. It's just that time together. So let me encourage you, as we do head into this, get involved. Meet some new people in the church. Have people over. So this morning, let me do some preventative care today and prevent relationships from getting to a point of despising taking place. Things that, if we will keep these principles in mind, will help us to have a right attitude towards each other and not let the devil get a foothold in. So first off, let me deal with this. What are some of the common areas that can lead a relationship to sour to the point of despising? Let's go to Romans chapter 14. the first three verses. Him that is weak in the faith, receive ye, but not to doubtful disputations. For one believeth that he may eat all things, another who is weak eateth herbs. Let no man, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And let not him which eateth not judge him that eateth, for God hath received him. So here is one area that I want to cover that is common, that can lead at times to two people despising each other. I'm not going to deal with the dietary laws that are involved here. That's just the side point of the main issue that I'm driving at this morning. But what we learn from this is sometimes we can, we can despise another believer because of different biblical understanding and convictions. And these verses is dealing with two believers who have different set of standards. Now, first off, I want to cover this. Neither standard of either believer is sinful. Neither. They're both... There's there's nothing sinful about either standard that both these believers have set up. So we're not dealing with a brother in sin. We're dealing, he's going to, by the way, the Lord will cover that aspect when he gets over into verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass, now he's going to get into sin issues. We are dealing with two brothers in Christ who have two different standards. And because of that, there's a danger that that relationship can sour and lead to despising. Now, it's true within context here, one has a better understanding of Scripture than the other. And that is the reason for the different standard that is given. That's just the truth of the text. There is one brother in this case who has a better understanding of Scripture than the other. But understand this. Regardless of that, both are in danger of despising the other because of their different conclusions. So... That means a better understanding of Scripture doesn't necessarily mean you're more spiritual. 
We are not to allow different set of standards to get you to a point of despising. The truth is we all grow at different levels and rates. We don't all have the same amount of understanding and illumination. We grow at different stages. We have those present in this room that are babes in Christ. We have those here that are very strong, able to handle the meat of the Christian life. I can think in my own life how I've grown over the years and things that I have changed and learned as, my, as I've grown closer in my walk with the Lord, how I can look back and see things that I used to do that I'm like, wow, I can't believe I used to do that. You see, this, if you're not careful, the devil can come in, he begins to shoot those arrows, those darts at you. He wants to sort of change your spiritual perception a little bit if he can, to get you to a self-righteous attitude. He'll still combine with pride that Christ talked about in the first part of chapter 18 and try and mix it in here. Because you're better. Oh, this is a destructive attitude. All of a sudden, you can appear to be a snob because you've attained a higher enlightenment, at least you think you have. And so you look down on those who don't see it as you do. You're in danger of despising your brother when that takes place. Might I remind you that one of the key things we look for, that we see through the example in the Gospels with Christ, really throughout Scripture, is the direction of the person, looking for the person who simply wants to do what the Lord would have them to do. That person will grow, that person will change. I promise you, if you had seen me at 17 years of old, and I had, but at that age, though, I had the desire for God. There was no doubt. I, I, I wanted my life to be about Him. But I had very little knowledge. I had a whole lot of growth to do yet. If you saw me and met me, had Greg had met me at 17, he probably wouldn't think, well, I don't know if there's much hope for him. I, I mean, here was my ignorance. I heard I should go soul winning. So I went soul winning initially just by myself, door to door. Church didn't have it, actually. Uh, there, there really wasn't much preached against in the initial church that, that I had began growing in. But the Lord was, was still working in my heart and in my life. He knew I desired Him. I had the right direction. So I started going by myself. Then I met Mary Ann. Now I'm an independent fundamental Baptist. Now I went to a Baptist church then, but it wasn't an initially an independent fundamental Baptist church. I, I got in my car at 17. I would go pick her up without a chaperone, and we would go door-to-door holding hands. I look back at that and think, what was I doing? But you know what? At that time, I still had growth to take place. You, you would have been hard-pressed within my church or others to find another seven-year-old that wanted to serve God more. And by the way, as the Lord made things clear, I changed. There was never the attitude when all of a sudden I saw something in Scripture, well, forget that. No, I'm, I've been fine just the way I am. That shows a pride problem on your part and a lack to submit to what the Bible teaches. I would grow and change as I learn. Be careful with your standards and biblical understanding. That even if the Lord has blessed and you have increased in that understanding, that doesn't give you a right to despise another believer who does not have the same standard. 
You're to encourage others, to help each other grow. I can think of, I thought of a man in my life that the Lord used that since, and that was, I've had him here preach uh, one of our revivals once, and that was Jim Taylor. Both of us were in the Air Force. And uh, I got stationed over in Korea. And at the time, although the Lord was already working on my heart before I ever left for Korea, I was recognizing there was something seriously wrong with, it, just for this, I'm going to use this word for sake of this message to keep it, the understanding there. My standard, if you will, on soul winning wasn't what it should have been. I mean, I was faithful to do it. But how I witnessed was much more manipulative. Getting people to say a prayer. And the Lord was already, before I left, a good probably two years before that, I, I began realizing something's really wrong with this. But he had more understanding than I did. If you will, he had a better standard of that, if you will, than me. But he didn't look down on me when I saw it. He approached it with such a sweet spirit to try and help me get to a place of a better biblical understanding of it. And it worked. He did not despise. He didn't look down upon. He sought for my growth and helped me through it. You have to keep in mind, when this one takes place, both groups... The devil, it's an open season right there for both people. Those who have the, the, the more biblical understanding and those who don't. For both those to despise the other. It's not that one has an advantage over the other. That's not true. Both are in danger of it at that moment. The second thing we see in Scripture that leads to despising each other. Look at James chapter 2. Look at the first six verses here. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with respect to persons. For if there come unto your assembly a man with a gold rein and goodly apparel, and there come also in also a poor man in vile raiment, and ye have respect him that weareth the gay clothing, and say unto him, Sit thou here in, uh, in a good place, and say to the poor, Stand thou there, or sit here under my footstool. Are ye not then partial in yourselves? And are become judges of evil thoughts? Hearken, my beloved brethren. Hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the kingdom which he hath promised to them that love him? But ye have despised the poor. Do not rich men oppress you? Draw you before the judgment seats? And he continues on. Here's another area we see from Scripture that can lead to despising. By looking down on those who are not like you. Those who are a different, maybe social class, social status, background, ethnicity, economic status. There's a danger there. There's not one soul in here that is worth more than another. Not one. It's, Job, uh, it's in Job chapter 34. There's a verse in Job 34 where, where the Lord deals with that. How it, I, it, I, I can't quote it. I know it deals with princes and riches and poor. He said... He said I'm, I'm going to sum it up. Basically, when, you, when you're in heaven, it's all souls are the same. So 
So you better look out. That danger that, that, that is there and thinking you're better simply because of an income or because of uh, social status or ethnicity, none of those things are true. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Here's a third thing that can lead to despising someone else. The first three verses. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if a man think himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceiveth himself. There's another danger here. By showing no compassion for those who are following, desiring repentance. Those who have repented and left it, I mean, there, there are sometimes the devil can get a hold of your mind. You can lead to despising that. Just, just as if there is no hope, there is no, there is, you don't give space for repentance can lead to you despising them. Instead of trying, no, no the, the repentance is in place, let's try and restore with meekness and humility. Because I could be there. That could be me. It's not a matter of despising. It's trying to restore with meekness and humility when repentance is in place. Again, I think of John Mark. What he ended up becoming, even though he quit on that first missionary journey. This is a big one here. Let's go to Galatians chapter 4. I'll spend a, probably just a little bit more time on this one. Galatians chapter 4. I want you to look at verses 14 through 16. In my temptation, which was in my flesh, you despised not nor rejected, but received me as an angel of God even as Christ Jesus. Where is then the blessedness you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So let's look at what's happening here. This is the Apostle Paul writing back to the churches in Galatia. And he references when he first arrived there, when he was planning the churches, how, how they accepted, how even though he was sick and battling his infirmity, he said, man, you, you guys were thriving on, on the Word of God. You were taking it and receiving it. I mean, to the point he gives the illustration, I mean, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given to me if I needed it. And now he says, and now everything's changed. He said, but I'm telling you, look, why? Why is it changing? I am still giving you truth. So what's happening here? They were rejecting the one who was confronting their sinfulness. And he was doing it right. We're not talking, come at it, what I've already addressed with the snobbish area. We're talking the Apostle Paul with compassion, speaking the truth in love, and the rejection taking place. Paul reminded him how when he preached the gospel and how they had loved him and listened and responded. And here's Paul just wanting them to see the error of their way. And they were rejecting it. The despising was coming in. Many can respond with disdain at thinking of others. Who do you think you are? 
I, I remember, I, I can think of different times this is, this is taking place over the years. I remember dealing with a man who I know that there was a, a serious danger of a sinfulness taking place or already taking place, so I, I took him out. They didn't take him in my office, so let's go out. I took him out, I can't remember if it was a restaurant or for coffee or something like that, and I dealt with it. And I said, listen, I see a danger here, uh, something that needs to change. And he received it. I was actually glad. I thought it went very well, very well. But then, it's a matter of weeks, I saw the same thing again. So I, this time I brought him in the office. And I said, listen, I'm still seeing it again. We've already addressed this. And this is something that is sinful. And um, at this point in time, no. There, there was some despising coming in. There was not receiving that counsel that was biblically based at that moment. Listen, the hardness of your heart at times... What you have to be willing to measure is to, the key is going back to the beginning of chapter 18, that humility in truly desiring what the Lord wants. Do you understand how twisted the devil can get in your mind? Even with the messenger who's come to you, at times he can come and it's out of an element of pride that you refuse to see it. So you have to be able to step back and say, Lord, please help me to see it clearly. If this is your word, if this is right... I can think here it hasn't happened, hasn't happened much, but I've had it two occasions. I remember somebody, people had come in. Sometimes they, they just need to vent, but it went off and everything they thought I was doing wrong. And, of course, as a pastor, you've got to use wisdom. You want to get in your flesh really quick in those moments. So I just usually make it a principle. I, don't, I won't say much, hardly anything. And then what I also do is when that's done and that occurs, first thing I do is go and pray. Lord, we're the right. Show me. Just show me where they're right. Lord, are, are there things that, that, that I need to change? Because in our flesh, none of us like to be told that we're wrong. None of us. And if you're not careful, if that comes into play, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, it, you hear that maybe it's just through the preaching of a sermon or the pastor talk with you and you head out and you leave and you let the devil get a hold of your mind. Or your own flesh, really. That's all it takes. And all of a sudden you start thinking on that and thinking on that and it just starts bothering you. Well, who does he think he is? The pastor of the church who's responsible for watching for your soul. By the way, at those times that I have to do that, do you think I enjoy that? Hate it. Hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it, hate it. Makes me want to throw up every time. I'm not kidding. Hate it. But I know this. If I'm called to be a pastor, I have to pastor. I'm going to answer to God for what I do, not you. This is what happened to Cain. Cain had come before the Lord thinking he could offer unto God and God would receive it. Lord, look at my efforts. Look what I've done. But again, obedience is better than sacrifice. And so Cain, when Cain's offering is rejected, Abel's is received, he is, to use the Bible word, raw. He's mad. I mean, he's really mad. I mean, he thought mine should have been accepted. Mine was better than Abel's. No, you had a measure of disobedience. Just like today we see it in multitudes. It's a whole other sermon. But those who are choosing, that, that, that believe they can worship God whoever they want as long as you're sincere. I got news for you. Your sincerity better be based in truth. Cain's was not. 
Cain didn't have, didn't have to listen to, didn't have to listen to dad's instructions. I, I know what God will accept. I got this. He was wrong. And then he found out when his offering was rejected. And then it just stewed and stewed. And Abel, although we have, we have there's, and I think it would have been in there had that happened, we have nothing of Abel, of Abel mocking him or giving him a reason to further the despising. But Abel's life would have been convicting. Many times those who choose their own path despise those that stay on the right path. I want you to think about this. It's true. And be careful what voices you listen to. The bitterness of some have led many astray. The bitterness of some have led many astray. I, I was talking with a person even this week where that's exactly what happened. The bitterness of some had poisoned the person's mind to the point they had viewed what was taking place wrong. The devil will do what he can to try and come in and cause disunity. In our text, I'm going to have to cover this very quickly. There's some powerful reasons that were given as to why you had better not despise your brother. Why you better, better not let it get to that point. Verse 9 is a reference to the angels in heaven beholding the face of, of God. They're, they're right there. So what's that talking about? And he said, listen, you better not despise. These, again, the children there in context is believers. Um, this isn't talking about guardian angels or anything of the sort. It's simply saying this. Um, God will intervene. He has angels waiting at the moment he says so to get involved. God will intervene. Be careful how you respond to each other. God, he's telling us, God will intervene in these situations. You can find yourself all of a sudden by your despising getting more consumed and more consumed with that person's destruction. It's not about helping them. Now it's more about you being right. Before you know it, you start to see your thoughts going the way of wanting to see them get hurt, wanting to see them fall. Cain wanted Abel dead. He allowed that anger to grow and grow and grow. Listen, you need to know this. God will intervene. You're going to be the one in misery. Let's read back in Matthew chapter 18. I'm going to, I'm going to combine these next two here. Because there's still... I'm, I'm, I'm going to... This one point I need to shorten up just slightly. I'm going to combine two different principles that Christ brought up here of why not to despise. Notice the 4 in verse 11. Then he goes into an illustration in 12, 13, and 14. He said in verse 11, For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. How think ye, if a man have a hundred sheep, and one of them be gone astray, doth he not leave the ninety and nine, and goeth into the mountains, and seeketh that which is gone astray? And if so be that he find it, verily I say unto you, he rejoiceth more over that sheep 
than of the ninety and nine which went not astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father which is in heaven that one of these little ones, again believers, should perish. This context of this particular illustration of the lost sheep is dealing with believers. And so there's two, there's two additional reasons here that the Lord is telling you, don't you despise someone else. Don't you despise, even if you have a different understanding, a different standard, e- even if there's a problem, even if it's coming up to, a, up, up to the, the sin issue that you mean deal with, don't despise. One is the mission of Christ. Christ came to save. It shows the value of their soul, of what the Lord God was willing to do in order to save that person. He came not to destroy, but to save. Remember the tremendous price that was paid to save them. How dare you look for the destruction on somebody that God valued so much that he would shed his own blood to save them, and yet you want to see them hurt. You want to see them fall. God said, you better remember the whole reason I'm here is to save and not to destroy. And you're going to consume with wanting that believer destroyed, the one whom I've saved with my precious blood. And then he gives the illustration of the, of the father's concern of the sheep that went astray. The pictures of a believer who's wandered off, whether it's sin, false doctrine, who knows. The person's off track, though. He's not in the place where he should be. He's in danger, and the danger was great. The danger would be great for any sheep that's separated from the flock. And this is just a beautiful story that the Lord gives us of his care and of his concern. And I'll tie that in with why that's the motivation not to despise, as that's what's given in context from verse 10. It mentions a hundred sheep. That's a lot of sheep, actually. A hundred to look after. The imagery is not of a shepherd who all of a sudden is counting his sheep and one is missing. That's not what it says. He's not one, two. Wait, let's count again. Wait, let's count again. I only got 99. That's not what he's doing here. Because he knows the sheep, he already knows one is missing. He already knows. He noticed the sheep was not normally where it was. He did not see it. He missed the uniqueness that that sheep provided. The shepherd knew them so well. He knew them by their individual characteristics. The good shepherd knows the habits of his sheep. It was easy in Israel... For the imagery, for those that were hearing this teaching right there, they understood by, the, by the, the terrain of portions of Israel how easy it would be for one sheep to go astray, to wander off into a valley, over a hill, a cliff, anything. There was a lot of danger out there to get stuck in, in, in different places. So the imagery, one is gone, the shepherd knows, it. wait, so-and-so is not in this place. And he heads out to find it. He remembered, that, he remembered the path they came along. He knew something happened along the path that got him distracted. Something grabbed the attention that shouldn't have grabbed the attention. So the shepherd goes to find it. The shepherd goes, and of course, when he finds it, he's rejoicing greatly. And of course, brings him back to where he should be. The approach to somebody, again, that has gone out of the way. How to, how to restore, how to go about this. I mean, we see God's love for us as individuals. He knows to find us right where we have fallen. He knows exactly what got us off track. He knows which, what, what your mind is thinking. He knows what twisted your thinking. He knows the paradigm shift that needs to take place. 
And it's amazing because one of the concepts is here is that even as you think of how amazing God is and how great he is, that he never sees us corporately. He sees us as individuals. You're not just one of God's believers. He knows you. We can see his compassion for us in this. He didn't just say, listen, I'm done with it. I, I have I, that, that dumb sheep. I don't know how many times I've told him. Stay focused. Stay focused. I'm done. The wolves can have him. It wasn't what he did. His love for this sheep, sheep and his care and the position he was given led him to seek that sheep. And then, of course, the rejoicing that takes place. That's important for this. He greatly rejoiced. He didn't hold a grudge. Didn't hold a grudge. That would have showed maybe an element of despising was in place had he held a grudge as he's bringing that sheep back. Didn't hold a grudge. Now let me finish with this. Some helps. Based on what we just saw, look in Ephesians chapter 4. With what I've just covered, I'm, I'm going to give a few things here very quickly. And what will help you not to despise my brother. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking but a be put away from you with all malice, and be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Now, in, in, in verses 11, 12, 13, and 14 of Matthew chapter 18, if I could sum up the reason there not to despise is this. What the Lord was trying to get us to see is this. You need to see others as Christ sees them. You need to see others as God sees them. To be praying and ask the Lord to allow you to allow you to have the eyes to see the other person as you see them. The care and love that you have for them. What you're willing to pay for their soul. Lord, help me to see beyond where my mind is just obsessed with all the faults and all the errors. Lord, let me, let, let me see the value that's there. The one for whom you died. Lord, please change it. Let me see it for the soul that they are. Because you will get so consumed with the faults and the errors of the person that you can see nothing else. And the despising just stays there and stays there. And it builds and it builds. Because you're not, you're looking at the person through your carnal, fleshly eyes. And you need to get on your knees and say, Lord, forgive me. Please help me to see them as you see them. Help me to see them that, that, if, if, that, that when you know that they went astray, that you're willing to leave the 90 and 9. When you find them, you rejoice greatly. Help me to realize that your entire mission here was to save and not to destroy, to save that soul. If you would just step back and get on, Lord, please forgive me for how I've been viewing that person. Please help me to see them as you see them. Help me to work towards restoration and not revenge. 
Then Ephesians 4 gives us a great truth as well. You had better remember that God has forgiven you and shown you grace. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away with you, uh, be put away from you with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. Here's why: even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. I mean, I can. I'm not going to for time. We can go in. We can go into the different texts where Christ talk, taught on this Himself. That that how dare you hold something against another when I have forgiven you? Listen, so often, again, we, we, we forget how amazing God's grace is in all of our lives. How much each of us need it. And then we refuse to show grace unto another. Where the paradigm shift needs to occur is when you realize, no, Lord, I know I need your grace. Help me to show grace here. Lord, you've forgiven me. I mean, if we, again, if we can get that glimpse to see ourselves of how wretched we are and to realize that Christ was right there ready to forgive. That all we had to do was have that repentance in place and it was done. I mean, our sins removed as far as the east is from the west. God showing amazing grace. So within our church... We have multitudes of personalities. We have type A's to the very quiet. Those ones you've got to be worried about. I'm just telling you that right now. No, I'm just kidding. We have the strong type A's. Ready to talk and argue. They don't even know what they're saying half the time. To the very quiet ones. Now, on top of that, within all those different personality types that we have within our church... All of those are at different levels of spiritual understanding and spiritual growth. You know what all that means when we all have a sinful nature and you put all that together? If you want to find a problem with somebody, you'll find it. It's easy. If I decide I don't like Bonnie, I'm going to find areas I don't like Bonnie. She helps way too much. But you could find things. Instead, remember who we are before God and what he's done for us. Listen, if we're going to go forward and do something, listen, the the Lord is doing something with our church. The devil's not going to sit by and just let it happen. If he can get in and cause division, he knows what destruction that can cause. We're all at different levels of growth. We're different people. But the Lord has every single one of us here for a reason in His sovereignty. We have to avoid the danger of allowing the devil to come in and despising one another. Even this morning, if there's somebody that you have ought against, maybe just go before the Lord and say, Lord, please, Maybe you've been focusing too much on, on, on the problems you see instead of seeing the same value that God sees in that person. Instead of you trying to look for a resolution and a help in it, you've just been looking, nope, 
just been stubborn with it. Well, go before the Lord and say, Lord, I'm sorry. You'll be amazed. You know, this, this deals with the same principle, by the way. It's a whole no, I'm going to get off on a whole other sermon right now. Where a soft answer turneth away wrath. We need to see each other as the Lord sees us. Remembering the Father's tender care for each one of us. And it's kind of like this. If we esteem each other, I'm, I'm done, I'm finished with this. I'm, I'm trying to, the, the illustration, the picture of the 90 and 9, I'm not doing it justice. I, 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 can, I, I can tell by how I'm preaching. I'm not doing it any justice of how powerful that point should be. If you could just see that other person that you're despising, how much God values them. I'm telling you, it would change how you view them. You would want to try and be a help to that person as much as possible. Not to hurt. Not to hurt. With heads bowed and eyes closed.